Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan, and as always, Ben is beside me on a wonderful recording studio surrounded by beige walls and mirrors. And uh, he's 800 miles away. Ben, it's good to be back. How you doing, big guy? I'm doing good. So that's your idea of like a, a wonderful recording studio is beige walls and mirrors? Yeah, I know. It's it's all about the looks when you're recording, to be honest. Like you got to keep your confidence level high. Like if one hair is out of place on the back of my head, it's shot. I can't do it. So I'm wearing a hat today, so it doesn't matter. I, I feel like that would be terrible for acoustics. Oh, I know. I think I think our voices would just echo non-stop <laughs> it would be bad <laughs> it would be really would bad. Be so bad how you do- how you doing big guy oh man i am just i'm doing good all things considered it's been busy 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 but not too bad how you doing good man um I- i've been doing too uh i've been doing all right <laughs> um i wouldn't say i'm the best i've ever been but i wouldn't say that i'm the worst i've ever been i'm kind of in the middle um <laughs> that's all right you know it's good to be back good to be talking to you uh, I feel like there's something I wanted to tell you. Uh, just over a two two and a half weeks, and we will finally be sitting next to each other with uh, a couple of mics and a few brewskis. So super <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, young nostalgia listeners might get to uh, get to experience a great episode where we we try to record a podcast when we're trashed because that'd be because that'd go super well, see, well if we tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> if we tell them that before then, see, we just got to ride that thin line of where you're drunk enough that everything sounds amazing. Well, the thing is... The, and not pass that line. The listeners don't necessarily know exactly what show it's going to be. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, okay, yeah, <laughs> very true, very true. All right. Because <laughs> we record these three there. weeks in advance. We're always super prepared. <laughs> I know. That's why we release like on a day later, so... <laughs> Just to keep them guessing. <laughs> Guys, you rock. Thanks so much for listening to us. It's always a pleasure to bring you this content. Sorry about Ben and I going back and forth. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Episode 56 is all about Steven Hillenberg. Uh, last week, we kind of introduced St- uh, Stan Lee in our couple of episodes that are dedicated to a couple uh, pop culture figures throughout time that really influenced our childhoods as well as many people Um in the entertainment industry. So Steven Hilberg is actually the creator and founder of uh, SpongeBob SquarePants in that series. So we're going to talk about his life and legacy as well as um, his background and what led to his uh, very short um, and untimely death. But we also wanted to give our hearts and condolences to the Bush family um, and and friends who were all affected by that. We have lost a lot of good people this month. Um, and I've heard nothing but amazing things of the tribute and respect given to uh, the 41st president, George H.W. Bush, um, and his funeral uh, today, actually. So um, we appreciate everything that he was, everything he stood for, and what he fought for uh, for the freedoms of this country. We wouldn't be here podcasting if we weren't in America. So got to love it. Always respect to the people that defend our freedoms. So. Anything else uh, you want to add on, big guy, before we jump into this episode? Uh, no, that was a that was well said. That was a fantastic entry to the show. I do have to add, I will apologize in advance. I will try to mitigate it and remove anything that I've already done. I keep sma- It's another day where I keep smacking my face on the microphone. <laughs> um, so I will apologize in advance for that. For those headphone listeners who it might, you know, rattle their fillings every time I do that. <laughs> yeah okay just <laughs> keep yourself in check all right as a, <laughs> we're, we're working again with real big stitch of cozy knits hand knitted um items for your friends family any gifts that you're looking for uh we are teaming up with her through december 31st 2018 you can use nostalgia 18 for an additional for an additional 20 percent, 10 percent off excuse me additional 10 percent off nostalgia 18 all caps no spaces on her etsy page you'll find a link in our show notes check her out her reviews and people that favorite are her store says more than we could ever say about her quality as well as passion for knitting and helping those for the holiday season. All right, man. Without further ado, let's get on in about Steven Hillenberg or Steve Hillenberg, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants. Why don't you kick us off with his early life? Okay, so born on August 21st, 1961 at Fort Sill, a United States Army post in Lawton, Oklahoma, 
where his father, Kelly N. Hillenburg Jr., worked for the U.S. military. Um, kind of leading up into his childhood a little bit, uh, when asked in an interview how Hillenburg described himself as a child, he replied that he was probably, he was, quote, probably well-meaning and naive like all kids, unquote. His passion for sea life can be traced to his childhood, hint, hint, uh, when films by French oceanographer Jacques Cousteau made a strong impression on him. Um, again, kind of hinting a little bit at the uh, his accomplishments later in life. Um, he liked to explore tide pools as a child, often bringing home objects that, <laughs> quote, should have been left there and uh, ended up dying and smelling really bad. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, SpongeBob, Patrick, and uh, Squidward could have, you know, they uh, could have been based off of several rotting little sea creature corpses on a windowsill somewhere. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, probably all dried out like they were in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. <laughs> yes, bigger boot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. All right, um, I'll take the next point. Okay. So Hillenburg also developed his interest in art at a very young age. His first drawing was actually of an orange slice. Um, wasn't able to really tell how realistic the orange slice was, but that's where his first drawing <laughs> came from. Um, his talent would soon be recognized in the 1970s by a school teacher um, who actually took a liking to a picture picture he drew of army men who were kissing and hugging rather than fighting. So this gained huge recognition um, from his teachers and peers because of the polarity due to the Vietnam War at this time. So him to kind of pick a side, I guess, or, or you know, portray military life and fighting overseas in such a passive way kind of garnered attention um, and made his teacher kind of say, you have an art and an eye for talent like uh oh sorry i kind of <laughs> said that backwards you have you have a talent for you have an you have a talent and an eye for art gosh <laughs> Words are also Words in the are 1970s <laughs> also in the 1970s someone took hillenberg to the international uh tourney of animation at the los angeles county museum of art he was knocked out by the foreign animated films, including Dutch animator Paul Drayson's The Killing of an Egg. So just accompanying art of his own due to drawing and then putting that in motion by going to this huge um, animation festival in Los Angeles um, really kind of got Hillenberg's mind set on something that he really loves to do and loves to see uh, be created and see the final form of. And so early on in his life and career, you kind of see his mind being formed into what would define who he was later in life, um, which I think is super interesting. I mean, you know, a lot of these people that have made big impacts in pop culture, this is kind of where it starts is somebody kind of has them network in an environment that at the time is just a hobby. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to see the the perfect storm that kind of was happening at the time. He already had his um, very high interest in art and drawing, and then uh, he had the opportunity to go to this uh, tournée of animation at Los Angeles County Art Museum, um, where he was really able to... I mean, it's not... It's a really he was able to get a really in-depth look at the at the animation career wow i am just struggling for words here um, we're, we're, we're both doing real I, bad it's, it's a rough day um <laughs> it, it's just a lot better viewpoint rather than you know watching saturday morning cartoons or something like that which you know every kid does um uh-huh. and you know enjoys that for much different reasons he is all has already has the interest and he's going and looking at kind of the behind the scenes this is the history of the animation right and i i think it'll be interesting if we go through this episode and at certain points we can bring up episodes that we remember of uh, spongebob <laughs> and kind of see where these could fit in and i when i was reading this point and researching a big episode that came to my mind was when squidward started art class 
and was the teacher. <laughs> and SpongeBob came in and just like ruled the house with his creativity. But Squidward was so uh like jealous and just envious that he just hated every work that he did and so degraded spongebob to a point where he couldn't do it anymore (laughs) i call this bold and brash (laughs) more like belongs in the trash (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i've got to be the marble (laughs) oh my god that's great i thought i thought you were connections here Oh, I 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. He, SpongeBob starts off with a, you know, inter, a slight interest in, you know, doodling and drawing and goes into the art class and just takes everything by storm. Um, right. You know, when you start talking about that, I thought, I thought you were going to go in a totally different direction than you did because I completely Uh-oh. forgot about that episode. I thought you were going to Doodle Bob. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> we hope we hope that uh your love of spongebob is just as is just as big as ours all right this this episode would probably be pretty boring to someone who doesn't know spongebob i no, i totally agree i totally agree i hope i hope you're you're still with us um all right ben why don't you finish off his early life okay um Stephen would then attend Savannah High School in Anaheim, California, as well as completing an undergrad degree in natural resource planning and interpretation with an emphasis on marine resources at Humboldt State University. Uh, Notice the uh, emphasis on marine resources. Uh, When talking about his education, Hillenburg stated, quote, initially, I think I assumed that if I went to school for art, I would never have any other way of making a living. So I thought it would be smarter to keep my art passion and hobby and study something else. By the time I got to the end of my undergrad work, I realized I should be in art. Unquote. And that's... Yeah, I mean... That is something to really respect out of... Um, out of an artist. There's, You know, it's... <laughs> It's really, really easy to make fun of people for, oh, you went to school for art, did ya? You know what I mean? Right. I mean, that's something you hear joked about all the time. Um, And something like this where he has the natural talent and he decides to, you know what, I'm going to keep this as a hobby. It's always in my back pocket. I'd love to do something with it, but I'm going to go to school and have, like, a backup. You know? Uh Uh-huh. Which is, it's always great to have other options for career. Um, but, you know, I just, I find that kind of funny. That's just not something you hear all the time. I'm sure there's tons of people who do it, but that's something you hear joked about. And, you know, sitcom kind of, you know, TV shows or something. It, you know, make some somebody being made fun of because they went to school for a degree in some sort of art field. You know what I mean? Right. Right, and it, and it's interesting because I mean, obviously now we kind of know where it all turned out to be, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's weird because he's he's writing that thin line of like both of what we talked about, where um, these people who became very famous are just nonstop passion and can't stop doing it, and for him to be able to kind of suppress that during college, I feel like takes a lot of himself to be able to do that, and then obviously by the end of it, he was like, you know what, I feel like. To myself, I made the wrong choice. Obviously, it turned around for him later in the future. <clears throat> but since realizing the choice that he made, he stuck with what he studied. But yet then he was able to actually turn in his passion into something more by never giving up on it. Uh, as we go into his early career, we'll see how his art and passion for it actually trickled over into his professional life um, while teaching. And this is kind of where SpongeBob, the idea, begins. <clears throat> Right, and so I'll kind of go take that and lead right into uh, the early career section here. Um, After graduating college, Hillenburg held various jobs uh, in 1984, including a park service attendant in Utah and an art director in San Francisco. Um, This is all before landing. At at the time, this would have been his dream job, teaching children. Um. So he had hoped to work in a national park on the coast, 
um, especially with his uh, background um, and interest in uh, marine resources. Uh, he hoped to work in National Park at the coast and eventually found a job at the Orange County Marine Institute, now known, now known as just the Ocean Institute, an organization in Dana Point, California, dedicated to educating the public about marine science and maritime history. Um, although it was a great experience for him, uh, those are quoted as his own words, um, during this period, Hillenberg realized he was more interested in art than his chosen profession. So this is kind of along the same lines as we were talking about earlier. He's not only went to school um, for a, a totally different career, um, he had worked several jobs um, in that other career, and he still is finding himself wanting to go back to some sort of art profession. Yep, and then this is kind of where the turning point goes. Uh, and obviously there's still a little bit of time before we get to the point of, of who uh, Steven Hillenberg actually defined himself as, but this is where it comes to a head. So while working there, one of the educational directors actually asked him if he would be interested in creating an educational comic book about the animal life in tide pools, um, tidal pools. Excuse me. So this even goes all the way back to his childhood where he would take these cr- these critters he would take these critters out and bring them home from tidal pools, and you know this is kind of. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of this even brings um, his childhood memories out. Um, that kind of started his passion with marine. So now he's starting to bridge that gap of animation and art with his current uh, passion for marine life. So he created a comic called the Intertidal Zone, which he used to, used to teach his students. Um, it featured anthro Promorphic forms of sea life, many of which would evolve into SpongeBob SquarePants characters, including quote unquote Bob the Sponge, the comic's co host, who resembled an actual sea sponge as opposed to the later SpongeBob SquarePants character as like a normal house sponge. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, that kind <laughs> of beginning of the intertidal <laughs> zone was uh, where a lot of inspiration for characters kind of came from. Yeah, um, he tried to get the comic published, but the publishers he approached actually turned him down later on, which uh, I'm sure they're kind of regretting now. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> what were you going to say? You going to say something? No, sorry. one thing I was thinking about this whole time is about this comic that he used as an educational aid. What better opportunity for a budding um, animator than you know, creating these comic books for kids. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's almost like a, a prototype of sorts. You know, he can work on the characters, you know, his, his goal of this anyway was trying to find characters that engaged with the kids, which right. is exactly what he has, what you would have to do as an animator for a children's uh, cartoon, television cartoon. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, this I I kind of saw this as a, a jump start into that. You know, it's not like he's t- immediately taking idea and pitching it to producers. He's had time to take this experience and experience with what kids like and they don't like and what gets them sucked in. Um, and he's got that to base later creations on before taking it to uh, producers or something. Right, and I think it helps a lot too. I mean, I feel like one of the hardest things to do is write educationally for a certain specific um, kind of audience. Mm-hmm. So when you look at SpongeBob, like it was very highly, highly uh, uh, received due to the availability and humor that can appeal to all ages. But here, being able to educate younger kids as well as you know put in maybe a, a few slights of humor, I feel like it takes a lot of skill. And for him to be able to kind of perfect and do a really good job at that just lays a good f- uh, framework to grow from there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a fantastic, no matter how you look at it, it's a fantastic stepping stone for what he would eventually find his career as. <clears throat> right, right. All right, man, you can go ahead and pick it up from here. All right, so during his career at Orange County Marine Institute, 
Hillenburg would continue to feed his passion for art and animation by attending many animation festivals throughout the state and began to grow his skills and professional network. In 1989, Hillenburg enrolled in the Experimental Animation Program at Cal Arts. Um, About this decision, he uh, was quoted saying, Changing careers like that is scary, but the irony is that animation is pretty he- is a pretty healthy career right now, and science education is more of a struggle. And that's that's kind of that's kind of interesting. I mean, it is, there was it is a lot of changes and updates to how animation was brought to the household, um, and I feel like everything was really flooded because of the um, technology growth so quickly especially with the internet and stuff like that mm-hmm. that i feel like the emphasis on cartoons and leisure might not have been there as much so i see how the want and need to be in the animation uh career field at this time could have been booming definitely i mean this is kind of around the time that cartoons were becoming i don't want to use i don't want to use prime time you know, but they're, it's <laughs> you know, nine o'clock on Thursday nights. It, right. Exactly. And so it was, it was not just a Saturday morning thing anymore. It was becoming a more around the clock. There were uh, beginning to be channels that were cartoon based, child based. You know, it's not like it was just a TV, a regular network station that was running cartoon reruns on weekend mornings or even weekday mornings. It was, like you said, it was just a career that was it was starting to bloom given the technology of the time. Exactly. <clears throat> All right. So kicking off his early animation career in the beginnings, uh, Hillenburg made his first animated work, short films with the Green Beret and Wormholes, both in 1992 while at Cal Arts. And this is kind of how um, he got started with um, experience in the way of animation and drawing and uh, storytelling. So during these animation uh, animations um, and his development while at Cal Arts, he works he worked intended to lean towards abstract or teaching aspects through the animation. So uh, because due to his earlier writing with intertidal zone, his educational aspect and writing carried over into his own work while studying professionally at Cal Arts for animation. And this is kind of where his niche was. Um, Hillenburg explained that anything goes in experimental animation, although this allowed him to explore alternatives to conventional methods of filmmaking. He still ventured to employ an industry style um, he preferred to traditionally animate his films, which were each frame drawn by hand rather than, for instance, make cartoons out of sand by filming piles of sand changing. So instead of doing stop motion is what I'm thinking he's trying to get here is that he would actually do his animation by hand drawing each small detail and each small change in the characters and overlap them um, and animate that way. Like the true traditional animation was what he preferred. Exactly. Which I feel like takes a lot of time and talent and patience, man. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that would be... I, I can't imagine doing that, you know, for for a living. I mean, that would be... It seems like it would be so tedious after a while. Because just to, just to make a relatively short section of film... You know, just say of a, a character speaking, there's so much that has to be redrawn in every frame. So, some of this, uh-huh. you know, stuff that doesn't change. Um, and even stuff that that is moving. It Everything has to be redrawn for every single frame. And that would just, I, you know, for someone who really loves doing that sort of thing, I'm sure it's different. But I, I look at it as just seeing that I can't imagine how mind numbing that would be after a while. Oh my gosh, yeah, and be like, I can't remember what his last arm stance was. <laughs> Oops, erase it all and restart. No, probably not like that. But, <laughs> uh, exactly. but okay, all right. So, so <laughs> let's take a quick pause. And is there an episode that comes to your mind um, in this kind of scenario? Not necessarily it, the animation style itself, but let's say something about like the educational aspect of of where his writing was coming from. <laughs> uh not not in the sense that i think you're talking about um 
but I think the first one that came to my mind when you, you, you said education was the, uh, oh, what, I can't remember what it's called. It's the, uh, the Krusty Krab training video. Oh my God. That, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a whole bunch of hoopla. <laughs> Do I get to make a Krabby Patty now? Gosh, what an amazing was, episode. I mean, and when I was the, a kid, the, the whole, you know, for people who know the ending, it's build up, build up, build up, build up. And now we're going to find out the Krabby Patty secret formula. And then no, I told, I'm right there with you where it's like the entire episode, you actually feel like you're going to learn something and it just it, cuts out. It sucked me in. Every single time I saw it. I know. It, it was I know. to a point it, where it was embarrassing. <laughs> the episode was fantastic because the pacing is so different than a regular episode. You know what I mean? Like you're not expecting – like there, there's no story-driven aspect to it. It's just like this bizarre thing that if you worked at a Wendy's, you would get the same kind of video. And well, it's just poking fun at it. Exactly. That's, that's what I was just going to say is that it's structured – just like you would expect a fast food training video. Okay, we're going to talk about your demeanor to customers. We're going to talk about cleanliness uh-huh. in the workplace because you're working with food. Then we're going to talk yeah. about... Uh, Hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one wants to be a Squidward. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> Is that for here to go? Uh, uh. <laughs> we'll check in later. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> or um I also thought a little bit about the episode where Squidward forgets to how to I mean, excuse me, SpongeBob forgot how to tie his shoes. And so oh, the educational the aspect of the of the of loop de loop and pull. Like, you know, adding music into educational parts of stuff that we can really click a lot with kids. Um and I think it's interesting just how a lot of this stuff pulls over from his uh from Steve, Steven's uh, personal experience. I like it. <laughs> oh, my God. We could do it's an entire stuff. episode of just talking about SpongeBob episodes. It's, I know, right? We are, know. we are adults, and we are huge SpongeBob fans. <laughs> <laughs> Always. I don't think I'll ever stop enjoying it. No, um, of course not. Okay. <laughs> I think I'll just finish this up, and then you can just okay. start us off with a big chunk of creation of SpongeBob. Um, so Hillenburg's first professional job in the animation business was actually director on Rocco's Modern Life from 1993 to 1996. Uh, it was actually Nickelodeon's first in-house cartoon production, So, which Hillenburg actually met Joe Murray, the creator of the show, at the festival where Wormholes was shown his previous CalArts animation um Shorts. So Hillenburg worked closely with Murray and Rocco's Modern Life for its whole run on the air. Aside from directing, he also produced, wrote, and storyboarded for some episodes and served as executive story editor. So he was getting hands-on experience to be able to create and manage his own show. And this is kind of where SpongeBob comes in. But anything you want to add? I know that you are a fan of Rocco's Modern, Lo- Modern Life, I w- aren't you? I, I am. And that's pretty much where I was. Uh, once you finished your point, that's where I was going to go with this. Did did you watch Mocker's Modern, Rocco's Modern Life, or were you a fan of that show? I can't remember. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say that I actively sought it out. Um, okay. And I can't. Nothing really comes to mind with the style and aspect of it. But <laughs> I know I've heard of it. I know I've seen it before, but not enough to be able to recall anything specific. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You know, I say I, I was a fan of it. I'm not like a super fan like I am of SpongeBob. You know, it's <laughs> I, I enjoyed it and I watched it when it was on. Um, so you know, yeah, there the characters of that show were just ridiculous as well. Um, <laughs> and I I did not realize that that was Nickelodeon's first in-house production. That's that's pretty interesting. Um, I agree. I mean, if you think about it, like 1993, that is not that long ago. And no. this is the first in-house production of Nickelodeon. Like the like from where Nickelodeon was, I'm guessing back then to now has just been exponentially different. Oh yeah, and you know this is it's this time this time frame right here, the early to mid '90s. When you go back and look at the cartoon lists from from that that time span, I mean this was oh my gosh, like the for us. 
you know, there's obviously the older cartoons are always fantastic too. The Looney Tunes, the really old stuff. Right. But this is for us the the golden age of art tunes of cartoons. It was just the the mindless goofy <laughs> comedy. Mindless. You know what I mean? Like you didn't have Gosh. to think about everything. It wasn't. It was funny. You, it was. It was a comedy that you didn't have to think about. You just watched it, and it was funny. And it was, <laughs> you know, not geared towards education or anything like that. A lot of newer cartoons are, or, and it was still cartoon. How many? How many shows on Nickelodeon and uh, switch gears a little bit to Cartoon Network? How many of those aren't even cartoons anymore? They're like drama. Live act or live action drama shows for kids, you know what I mean, dude. I can't even I can't even tell you the last time I spent more than a minute on Nickelodeon and Cartoon I know, Network. It's, it's been just, a while. It's just not the same. Yeah, and like that's that's the kind of stuff that I'm drawn to is the the mindless comedy stuff, and it's it's fantastic. You know, it's <laughs> it is fantastic. I just can't even, I can't fantastic. even describe it. It's. it's <laughs> Oh gosh! Just spent uh, uh, waste we'll get, hours with it. Who, who, the train has officially be de, been derailed. Let's try and get back <laughs> on track a little bit and round out the episode with the creation and success of Hillenburg's own baby cartoon child, SpongeBob. <laughs> okay, so uh, there is some evidence that shows that the idea of SpongeBob SquarePants actually dates back to 1986 during Hillenburg's time at the Orange County Marine Institute. Um, something we talked about a little bit earlier with uh, Bob the Sponge, who was more of a traditional-looking sponge. Um, he indicated that children's television series such as The New Adventures of Mighty Mouse, which ran 1987-1989, and Pee-wee's Playhouse, 1986-1991, sparked <laughs> something in him. <laughs> I'm um, glad it was nothing like Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> I don't know. Pee-wee's Playhouse is weird, but it's still... Um, it, I don't know. It's still funny for what it is. It's, it's just goofy. <laughs> I can, no, you're right. You're right. Um, during the production of Mako's Modern Life, Martin Olson, one of the writers, read the inner title zone and encouraged Hillenburg to create a television series with a similar concept. Um, and this is really, after this point, this is the birth of what we know as SpongeBob. He claimed that he finally decided to create a series as he was driving to the beach on the Santa Monica Freeway one day. Remember his, remembering his career at the Marine Institute, Institute, holy cow. Remembering his career at the Marine <laughs> Institute, he recalled how mesmerized the children were of tide pool creatures. So Hillenburg decided to show um, what would take place underwater um, with the addition of a squirrel, of course, because that's... You know, right? That's what you always find in can titles. We sh- can we say that shoes from Texas are dumb? <laughs> Prove once and for all that land critters are better than sea critters. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's not half bad up here. Uh, all right, you want me to keep going or take the next? You take the next point. Uh, it doesn't matter. How winded are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm taking it. You gave me an opportunity, I'm taking it. (laughs) Steven Hillenberg stated he wanted something that was fantastic, but also believable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He also wanted his series to stand out from most popular cartoons of the time, exemplified by buddy comedies such as Ren and Stimpy Show, 1991 to 1995. (laughs) So he's kind of wanting to follow a format of um, like a lead and their sidekick. Right. Um, as a result, he decided to focus on one main character, the weirdest sea creature that he could think of. This led him, obviously, to the sponge. Quote, I wanted to show about a character that was innocent, and so I focused on a sea sponge because it's uh, it's a funny animal, a strange one. Unquote. <laughs> do the sponge. Do, do the sponge. <laughs> That's another grand, fantastic episode that we probably shouldn't it take is. the time to discuss. <laughs> He's trying to get the punch. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
1997, while pitching the cartoon to executives at Nickelodeon, Hillenburg donned a Hawaiian shirt, brought along an underwater terrarium with models of the characters, and played Hawaiian music to set the theme. <laughs> Nickelodeon executive <laughs> Eric Coleman described the setup as pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like that presentation could go one of two ways. It could go this fantastic way as, you know, obviously it did. Or it could flop and you could look like a crazy person. <laughs> like like what if the terrarium just like fell over and water went everywhere and it was just a yeah. disaster. The opportunities for train wreck are just everywhere, but it, it all worked out. <laughs> right. Right, right. Oh my gosh. But honestly I think I think Hillenberg's mind was in the right place where if you're trying to produce and sell Nickelodeon some place that is very kid friendly, very outside of the box thinking in terms of animation. I feel like going so far as he did really struck a good chord with the people that he was talking with to sell the show. I think he did amazing. That's oh yeah, fantastic. definitely. I mean, it's. I mean, if you're trying to pitch something like a a new cartoon, I mean, what better way than to do something crazy? You right. know, something new is something that makes you stick out. You're not walking in there with a suit and a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> right, you know, a suit and a PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> No, he actually walked in when with one of those old, uh, old projectors that have the slick oh, the, laminate. The the slides. You had the yeah the slides, and you have to wipe it off. Yeah, <laughs> the good one, the, the ones that we had back in like high school and middle school. Oh yeah, oh, the stuff. the uh, yeah we always called them overheads. Right, overheads. Yeah, yep, that's it. <laughs> yep. Ah, oh, those things are uh, ancient, man. I know. I love it. And they were so they were loud and just like the click. You can the, hear the, f- the click to turn the light bulb on was so unique. You knew I, it. Oh my. I know. And some of them, you know, they have the fan in there so it doesn't overheat. Uh-huh. And, was, <laughs> and the teacher was yeah, like yelling over top of the noise of the fan. <laughs> like, right, oh, this is right. fantastic. <laughs> or like when the teachers accidentally smudge their markers and it just messes up and yeah you have that left-handed uh, teacher who keeps dragging their hand through the marker <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> those were the days uh spongebob square point Squ- spongebob square pants was nickelodeon's first original saturday morning cartoon it first aired as a preview on may 1st 1999 and officially premiered on july 17th of that same year um, and so that was just the beginning of the amazingness. SpongeBob SquarePants was an immediate hit. Within its first month on air, it overtook Pokemon as the highest rated Saturday morning children's series. By the end of 2001, the show boasted the highest ratings of any children's series on television. And SpongeBob has received positive reviews from critics and has been noted for its appeal to different age groups. Uh, up through adults for sure and the fact that it overtook pokemon i mean pokemon was a craze it was huge back then especially because of the releases just um, a couple years before the uh, animated tv show came out the releases of the actual original first pokemon games just Mm -hmm. took us by storm the fact that spongebob came in and just cleaned up house is fantastic now don't quote me, but I believe the very first episode is when SpongeBob got the for his job at um, at the Krusty Krab, wasn't it? I yeah, I think uh, I th- yeah, I think it was <laughs> Mr. Krabs with with overdrive. <laughs> that smell, that smelly, <laughs> that smelly smell, <laughs> that smells anchovies. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh uh, and you know i don't know about you it's those the first one obviously the first episode but my favorite are the like the original like the first two two or three seasons oh most definitely and you most know, the, definitely the animation was uh so much more crude which I like. I don't like, you know, the really refined, crisp edges. I like it when you can tell stuff is like hand drawn, uh-huh. you know. And the voices were, they weren't different, but you can tell they were kind of in. The, I, well, I get okay. They were different, um, and it was. They had there was less character. Uh, you know, 
I can't even describe what it is. There, there was less known about the characters. It was uh-huh. more of their actions and not background into the characters. Does that make any sense? Right. Like their personality had to be shown in so many different ways in 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Not even 15 right. minutes, just like 12 minutes. And so you just got outrageous scenarios because you're finding out how these characters actually act and interact in such a short amount of time. It was, it was, they did a fantastic job. Right. Yes. I don't know. It's as with anything, the first, you know, it, it's always fantastic early on and like everything it tapers off, but SpongeBob is no different than any movie or other TV show where it's, I mean, the first couple seasons are just fantastic. Oh yes. Oh yes. Christy Crab Pizza is the pizza, pizza you and me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take it. Take it next. As the show it. started to gain ground, Nickelodeon began adding SpongeBob SquarePants to its Monday through Thursday prime time block. This programming change increased the number of older viewers signif- older viewers significantly. By May. Tw- <laughs> I almost said 2020. By May 2002, <laughs> the show's total viewership reached more than 61 million, um, with 20 million of those aged 18 to 49. That's fantastic. Like, that it, just shows how much it appealed to everybody. Exactly. You know, and I still, every now and then when I watch SpongeBob, like, I'll, I'll be watching it, and then I'll get a joke that I've never gotten before. Right. Let alone Patrick, as a child. Patrick, your genius is showing. Where? Oh, where? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then yeah, he covers and- his crotch area. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's stuff that you... That, as well as many other little gags here and there, stuff that kids just aren't going to get. It's not, you know, inherently bad stuff. It's just... Jokes that might be over the heads of many, many children, but still right. are going to appeal to, appeal appeal to the older siblings and or parents of the kids. Right, right. <clears throat> Which oh, is man. Okay. a fantastic way of, you know, marketing a show is, you know, not making it, you know, the kids might like it, but if it's mind-numbing to the parents, they're less inclined to turn it on while their kid's in the room, you know what I mean? Most definitely. Oh, yeah, Mo- most definitely. Um, um. All right. So, uh, 1849. The show halted production in 2002 to begin working on the movie. <laughs> the movie's fantastic. The movie's I love fantastic. The movie. I, you know, I like it for different reasons. It's not just as as a show. It's not. It's not the same, and I can't really put it on par with the actual cartoon show. But it's still really, really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> after completing the film, call it double <laughs> bubble blowing double baby. Every every uh, bubble blowing uh, double, double baby. baby will be beaten senseless by every able-bodied person in the bar. In the bar. In the bar. <laughs> There's awesome. like that one person that's trailing behind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then David Hasselhoff is the lifeguard, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, after completing the film, Hillenberg wanted, he originally wanted to end the series. Um, so it, quote, so it wouldn't jump the shark. Um, we're working on episodes 40 through 60, and I always looked at that as a typical run for an animated show. Um, and he's referencing Ren and Stimpy at the time, uh, lasted about that long. And I thought then, excuse me, I'm butchering this. <laughs> and I thought then was. <laughs> I'm getting, to, I'm, get, I'm struggling with the whole thing where I'm reading ahead. I'm reading faster than my mouth. And then I read so far ahead that I forgot what I read and I have to backtrack so that my mouth can catch up. Right, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, moving on. And I thought then was a good time to step aside and look at a different project. I personally think it's good It's good not to point, not to the point where people don't want to see your show anymore. Um, Hillenburg, this is an interview with Hillenburg in 2002. 
and what that train wreck of words (laughs) means. Oh, my God. Can you please just sum up what all that was? (laughs) I'm going to sum it up because I just butchered that like crazy. Um, (laughs) Please go back and read it again. Uh, do you want me to read it again, or do you just want me to sum it up? Because I'm probably going to butcher <laughs> no, it again. No, don't, don't read it. Don't read it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, what he's talking about is he doesn't want it to just go on and on and on and get played out. And people, he, he wants people to remember it when it was good and really funny. Not, not a show that gets taken way too far and is not funny anymore. And viewership dwindles. And he doesn't want it to be remembered is that he wants it to be remembered while still you quit while you're ahead. That's right. essentially what he's talking about. Right. And I think um, to this day, they're still creating content for SpongeBob. Yeah. A so while back, they way back in 2002, he said this, but yet today this is happening. Yeah, it, it totally is. That's where I was getting to next. You know, it's a couple years ago. I think they officially canceled it, but every now and then they'll a special will come out where they'll, you know, throw out a few episodes and, and you right. know it's SpongeBob, so I'm still gonna watch them, but they're just not the same. The the not at all. The character dynamics have seems to have changed so much over the years. The the just the look of the characters have changed. You know, F- SpongeBob's uh-huh. features are different, and Patrick and everybody's features are a little bit different. The 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 music is a little bit different. The the whole show is just not the same anymore, and it's. Like I said, I'll still watch it, but it's it just kind of makes me sad, and I want to go back and watch the originals. You know, I'll find them somewhere and watch those exactly. instead. Exactly. <clears throat> so, all right. So um, to finish up that horrible point, um, the the last note on that. However, Nickelodeon wanted to produce more episodes. The show was such a cash cow for the station that it couldn't afford not to. Um, that words from a the storyboard editor. Storyboard director, excuse me, Sam Henderson, and that's and that's kind of the case with everything. And you know, we've I right. had this conversation when we talked about Star Wars last time about how Disney's probably going to run it into the ground. You know, well, I it, mean, everyone's going to throw their money at that kind of at Star Wars, though. Exactly, and that's kind of the same thing here. Is that the station didn't want to shut it down because it was? I mean, it's their highest grossing uh, show on the network. Of course, they're not going to let it shut down. You know what I mean? Right, right. And uh, so, and that's and that's kind of how it got so diluted to the point of late 2010s, and uh, it just kind of dwindled to the point where they couldn't they couldn't produce anymore uh, because nobody was latching on to the content. So, right. And you know, it doesn't matter how great something is. It, there becomes a point in time where it just you run out of stuff to make shows about, you know? Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. There's only so much Most content. Definitely. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, All I right. just looked at the time here, and go ahead and take us into the last one. We need to really kind of... Yeah. <laughs> we got to wrap We got to wrap this bad boy up. Um, so, <laughs> talking about his unfortunate illness and death, Hillenburg disclosed to Variety Magazine back in March of 2017 that he has been diagnosed with um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS a terminal illness that affects and causes the death of neurons that control the brain and the spinal cord he released a statement to the publication that in which he said um, he would continue to work on SpongeBob Square, SpongeBob SquarePants for as long as that he is able quote unquote Hillenburg subsequently passed away back on November 26th 2018 at the age of 57 just 57 uh, due to complications from ALS, obviously way too soon, um, but an amazing creator and person, um, uh, you know that that we had the honor of of having and, and bringing content to everyone in the U.S. and around the globe. Really, um, it's sad to see him go, um, but I think everyone listening to this, uh, you know, if you've ever seen, I'm sure you've heard of SpongeBob. Uh, it's going to be definitely held in a very high regard due to uh, Steven Hillenburg's input and creativity. Oh, definitely, and and you know, and he passed away with uh, such a good legacy behind him. I mean, he brought so much joy to 
like we talked about before, children as well as adults who really enjoyed SpongeBob. Um, yep. And, you know, I think that that it's unfortunate, you know, that he passed away, especially passed away from an ill, relatively young from an illness like this and everything that goes along with uh, ALS. Um, but, it, you know, it somehow makes it a little bit better uh, just to know, you know, the, the legacy he left behind. Right. And of course, our hearts and thoughts are with his family and friends. That's a wrap. Thank you guys so much for joining Young Nostalgia for episode 56 um, this week as we continue our journey through retro pop culture. As always, if you enjoy the show, leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen out there on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, Player FM, wherever you can find us. We're out there. Give us a like. Give us a share. Give us a review. And we want to hear from you. Um, our listeners, give us an email at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com about your questions um, or topics for future shows. We want to hear from you. Give us a ring. And uh, we're teaming up with uh, Real Big Stitch from Cozy Knits, her hand-knitted items on Etsy. You'll find her page linked in our show notes down below. Give her a check out. She's fantastic, makes quality goods, great presents for anybody in the family or friends for this holiday season. We're working with her up through December 31st. You use code NOSTALGIA18, all caps, no spaces, NOSTALGIA18 for your 10% off your order with Code Nets by Real Big Stitch. Thank you so much, episode 56. It was great to be able to honor Steven Hillenberg today. Ben, anything else, big guy? Uh, you know, Steven Hillenberg is one of those personalities who, because of their career, uh, they might be very influential. Not a lot of people know about them because they're they're kind of hidden behind the animation. Um, right. Everyone knows the characters they create. Very few people know the creator of those characters. And so, right. you know, and that includes us. Huge fans of SpongeBob. We knew who Steven Hillenberg was. We didn't really know anything about him. Um, and so the this episode was really fun to, to learn you know, about his life. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff we talk about people and topics we're really into. And we, we learn a little bit here and there as we go. Um, but a lot of it, we, you know, for the most part knew beforehand going into this, pretty much this entire show was just a learning opportunity for us as well, which was really fun. Right. And I hope everyone gets that same kind of experience. I mean, you know, his name just like plopped on the screen for like two seconds in the beginning credits. Um, and that's it. And mm-hmm. now we kind of see where the beginning of SpongeBob occurred and how it got to where it is today and how it kind of formed our passion for cartoons in general. I mean, obviously, probably the my most favorite cartoon ever, SpongeBob, for sure. So, Oh, definitely. With that said, Ben, <laughs> I, you rock, man. Absolutely <laughs> rock. Love hearing your voice. Love seeing you. It's great. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week.